This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have one of the most innovative and civic-minded foodies in D.C., a team that champions immigration rights equally as well as they make a mean fusion bowl, which my favorite, I have to say, is the D.C. Madam VP's Heritage Bowl packed with coconut milk curried chicken stew, chickpeas, potatoes, pineapples, and plantains with a little hint of spicy peppers. So that, that actually is my favorite. Um, the minds behind that dish and, and many more is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Immigrant Foods, Peter Schechter and Taya Ivanovich. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So great to meet you both and be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, we have our lead researcher, Luke Bianco on. Doing well. Great to join. Great, great. Um, so, uh, Peter, just want to get a little bit of uh, background. You, you co-founded Immigrant Food as a, a homage to America's immigrant diversity and is D.C.'s first cause casual restaurant. What does that title mean to you and how is it expressed? You know, the, the whole thing began to happen as America, to a large extent, became unrecognizable in, in, its, in, in the way it treated and looked at immigrants. You know, for so long, we have seen ourselves as an immigrant country. And in poll after poll, you see that Americans really believe that a, immigration is a great thing. The, the latest Gallup poll, which just came out the other day, has 76% of Americans believing that immigration is good for America. And nonetheless, we have spent the last bunch of years fighting a huge anti-immigration wave in our country. Uh, I was born in Rome, Italy, and both of my parents were born outside of the United States. And nobody's ever said to any of us, neither my parents or to myself, to go back to where we came from. And, um, you know, I've spent my life both in policy and communications, uh, as well as in investing in restaurants. I was one of Jose Andres's first investors way back 27 years ago when uh, Haleo opened up in Washington, D.C. And so I decided to sort of combine these two different strands of my career and create a restaurant which both served delicious food and as you said it's of great fusion food and that's the way we celebrate all the things that immigrants have brought in terms of their gastronomies but also to advocate and educate on issues having to do with immigration and why immigrants have made this country what we are today but they will continue to make this country uh, what it will be in the future. And we're, we're a melange and a melting pot. And to a large, large extent, that's something that is the essence of the American character, that we've all come from many different places. And uh, yet we have to take on this fight against this new strand of virulent anti-immigration and anti-immigrant feelings. So. Uh, this restaurant is a small attempt to do that uh, and to find ways to involve customers in the fight against racism and the fight against xenophobia and to also educate but also to have fun and celebrate uh, what immigrants have brought us. 
uh, it seems like you're, you're kind of getting at that there's this you know divide between kind of America's identity as this nation of immigrants, which is presumably something that many people take pride in versus the the actual treatment of immigrants for the large part, uh, especially over the, the last few years. Could you talk about how this idea of gastroagvocacy, uh, what that kind of looks like on the ground and, and how you're involving customers and, and the public in this fight for immigrants? So I think when we first started thinking about the concept of immigrant food and what this would look and feel like, um, you know, we didn't have a model that we were following. So we, we knew that we wanted to combine advocacy with food, um, but we didn't really know where to look. I mean, we don't know of another restaurant doing this. So, um, you know, we thought long and hard about what are some of the most important ways that we can do that and we can bring immigration and immigrants and the community closer to the customers that would come and eat here. So Peter and I said, okay, well, you know, we should probably make a list of NGOs that we could work with. And for us, it was very important that these NGOs are local, um, that they're not, you know, big international or national organizations, but really local DC focused um, NGOs. And we made a list of, of a bunch of names and we just went off the list and, and went and met with them. Uh, this was pre-COVID, so we could meet in person. And um, we, we said, okay, well, we want to partner with you guys. Uh, we have this restaurant, this concept. I mean, at that point, we didn't even have business cards or a website. We just had this idea. And we were lucky that five of the really most amazing local NGOs agreed to partner with us. So then we said, okay, what are the ways that we can help you most? What, what are the ways that we can make the most impact? And, you know, they said, of course, donations, that's, you know, a big one, but they said, actually, what we really need are volunteers and what we lack is space. So, you know, often their offices are sort of outside of the city um, and it's hard to get to for immigrants, right? Many immigrants, you know, they work different shifts downtown. Um, it's hard for them to, you know, in the middle of the day, go outside and, you know, go do a volu volunteer training or English class or whatever, um, sort of outside of the city. So we, you know, took that information, started thinking, and we said, okay, let's create, um, first, let's donate parts of our space. So actually, um, we are sitting right now, we're doing this podcast in the upstairs location of our restaurant, which is a mezzanine floor. And that's what we donate to our NGO partners. They can use it for volunteer trainings, English classes, citizenship classes. We're located right by the White House. So for them, it's a very convenient spot. And then secondly, also, we created an engagement menu. So we have a food menu, obviously, where you can uh, select those bowls that, um, that Ian, you were talking about. But you can also select ways that you can engage with the community. So whether it's a donation, whether it's signing a petition or joining a march, it's all very easy. And you can select it right here in the restaurant. And then the last portion is the education portion, because for us, you know, we've noticed there's, there's obviously so much misinformation, a lot of fake news, <laughs> to use that term. And so we wanted to create something that's easy for people to digest. Uh, so Peter and I were both at think tanks before. And one of our frustrations was that, you know, think tanks do great work, but it's often targeted towards elites and people who are in that space already. And so we wanted to create something that was an easy platform for people to understand and just find out some facts about immigration. So we created this thing called the Think Table. It's a play on think tank. And we publish it every month and we take one issue in immigration and sort of go in depth and speak with experts. And we publish it through our um, our social media. So it's just um, at Immigrant Food or on our website, immigrantfood.com. 
So we've taken on, for example, uh, the issue of farm workers, the issue of dreamers, the issue of climate change and migrants, um, human trafficking. The last one that we did was about language access. There's so many issues having to do with immigration and immigrants that we just thought it was important to forgive the food metaphor to slice and dice the immigration issue into sort of digestible bits and really try to bring it out there in ways that think tanks do great work in, but they don't speak in a language that's easy to understand. So all of our, we do infographics and videos and print articles, but all of this is in, a, in, in an accessible, easy to understand language for a much broader audience that is interested in immigration, but maybe doesn't have the time to become experts. You were talking about how uh, both of you specifically have backgrounds in think tanks and, and perhaps the, the output of those research-based organizations tends to skew towards a, a more highly educated population or a more elite population, as you mentioned. What is it about food and restaurants that kind of transcend educational background, transcend cultural background, that made it such a, you know, a perfect avenue to, to educate uh, the groups of people that you're trying to reach? I mean, it's such a great question, and I have to say that, um, you know, America wasn't always like that, um, but America as at its best is always sort of takes uh, an imitation and takes that imitation to perfection. So, um, you know, the foodie culture that people sort of associate with a lot of other countries whether it's uh, China or Thailand or India or France or Italy or Spain, uh, and these profound foodie cultures, street markets and things like that, they didn't exist in America 25 years ago, right? But in particular, millennials have decided that um, food is part of the inner culture and they want to create. And now America is perhaps the most foodie country in the world. Uh, and it has taken it to levels of perfection in which, uh, you know, an American can almost out-talk an Italian in discussing how zucchini flowers should be fried and with what, what batter or which wines combine best with, uh, you know, this type of fish and not with that type of fish. And, you know, and in that sense, what we've gotten is a, uh, culture that transcends politics, that transcends age, that transcends demography, that transcends geography, in which Americans really are enjoying uh, food in ways that so many other cultures have enjoyed food over centuries. Um, and Americans see this, I think, totally correctly, because I, I should also say this, when you go to Italy and you want to discuss food, you're mainly discussing Italian food. When you go to Thailand and you want to discuss food, you're mainly discussing Thai food. But in America, we, we talk about food and know all of these cultures because we're, we're a country of fusion. We're, we're this you know, mixed up salad bowl of cultures and so it's, it's wonderful that you can come around the table and have Republicans talking to Democrats, 60-year-olds talking to 20-year-olds, uh, people who live in rural areas talking to people who live in urban areas, 
coming together to talk about food. And so restaurants, you know, our, our sort of little line is united at the table. And we believe that one can talk about immigration also around the table in ways that can perhaps disperse some of the fire and ire that, uh, that people are feeling and to talk about immigration in ways that is human and talks about people's lives and why people have come. Like you said, Peter, I mean, people come to the table to talk and discuss and debate. And we feel that it's very important to also have a social justice component to that. Um, and I think D.C. is a perfect spot for that because everyone is sort of social justice minded. Um, and so to have a restaurant like Immigrant Food that has, you know, well, we think delicious food, um, but also has, you know, this sort of platform where you can learn a bit about immigration, where you can advocate, where you can immerse yourself in the community um, in very easy ways. You don't have to go out of your way and research this or, you know, talk to a bunch of people. You're right here in the restaurant. If you're interested, uh, we have a QR code that has the engagement menu um, that offers five ways that you can engage. And, you know, you can do it while you wait for your food. Peter, actually, I did want to ask about your uh, career before getting into the food industry. I know that you worked on several political campaigns in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, and you, you launched a few nonprofits. Uh, I would like to hear about your work there and how has that informed uh, what you're doing today? Yeah, I spent my, most of my, uh, my career as a political consultant in which I sort of helped uh, run elections and advised parties, political parties and political candidates all over the world. What that teaches you is uh, to a large extent how to frame a message to people that is understandable and that really talks to them at a, at a, about what the things that they're interested in. Um, and you know that's the essence of a political campaign. How can you reach people on issues that they believe are the fundamental issues? Let's let's call that strategic communication. Part of the things that we created here at Immigrant Food is an, a, a message and a framework that really will bring the immigration issue to people in a way that is more understandable and more clear and more manageable. The fundamental thing in my life has been two things that have two parallel tracks that have worked together. One is this policy and politics track, and the other one is this restaurant investment and food track. I mean, I come from a family of foodies where my parents you know, love to eat, love restaurants, love the festive nature of food. You know, 27 years ago when Haleo was going to be built on uh, 7th Street in the Penn Quarter when there was nothing on 7th Street and my friend Roberto Alvarez, who I studied with, came to me and said, do you want to invest in this? And a lot of people thought we were completely mad. And that's when Jose, jo Jose Andres joined the company and, you know, his legend now has... Uh, has gone on and he's done amazing things. And he is a great example of how you can take somebody whose career has been food, but you can sort of bring it forward to be an advocate for something much more than food. He's become truly a voice for a lot of immigrant issues, but not only immigrant issues, but his how his NGO has helped people in dire circumstances. 
So while he is a chef that has become, uh, that has become uh, a voice for immigrants, what we think is a little different about our place is that we don't only want the chef to be the voice, we want the entire business to be the voice. And that's why we called it immigrant food. I mean, it's sort of an in-your-face name, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's no doubt what we stand for. When when uh, we're we're on Pennsylvania Avenue, right in front of the the White House, and uh, every day Mike Pence had to go back to the vice presidential residence. He had to drive by that's a nice. restaurant called Immigrant yes. Food, and it was. <laughs> yeah. Forgive the bluntness, but pretty damn clear what we were yeah. what we were standing for. There's no mystery uh, there. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> and so we don't. That's why Taya said correctly. We don't know about. There are lots of wonderful causes being espoused by chefs, but on an individualized basis. We don't know of another business, another restaurant, another food business that has taken on as part of its business plan, baked mm -hmm. into its business plan the whole social justice mission of immigrants or actually any other social justice mission. But it's a start. I mean, I think what's important too is that we started off like that, right? I think a lot of businesses, not just in restaurants, but also in restaurants, um, are, you know, they grow and grow and grow. And then once they become, you know, very big companies, they say, oh, okay, well now we care about social justice and now we will donate parts of our proceeds to a cause. And that's great. And, I, and that does a lot, right? If you're, you know, billion dollar company and you donate parts of your profits, that does a lot. But we want, we think that also small and medium sized businesses should start off as social, social enterprises and that they can make it as those enterprises, um, you know, and I think we've made it through the pandemic. So I think it's a sign that it can be a healthy business model, even um, with that platform inserted in it. Right. And that actually kind of goes to my uh, next question in terms of how has the lockdown affected business? Anything that you learned? What was the challenges and how were you able to surmount this uh, last past year? I think we could probably have an entire podcast just on that. Um, it's been um, it's been a year. I mean, it's been I think for us, it was a year sort of of uh, crisis management. I mean, I think in, you know, 15 months. I mean, we opened in November 2019, which ended up being three months before the pandemic hit. And we're located so far downtown um, that, you know, we started feeling COVID actually in early February, because our neighbor, yes, to the left, our neighbor is the White House, but to our right, we have the IMF, um, the uh, World Bank, and all these international institutions, and those people actually started working from home earlier than um, than most of, of Americans, because they were traveling, and so they were feeling sort of the effects of COVID very early on, and in early February, I mean, we like we didn't have any more customers and we were sort of all shocked about what's happening. And, um, you know, in, in March we had to close down for a couple of weeks um, when the mayor issued a mandatory closing order for restaurants. But then, you know, we were, we were really thinking of, okay, can we reopen again? Right. Cause a lot of restaurants didn't, didn't ever reopen or didn't reopen for a long time. And so actually our staff was really brave in that sense that they, you know, they all, all immigrants, they came to us and they said, you know, we'll work on commission. So we became shapeshifters. Um, you know, one, one example of that is in one of the COVID lulls, uh, we decided that we would allow, um, we would do an in-person event last summer. 
some, our staff and my daughter measuring seven feet between each table on the sidewalk. We took over the entire sidewalk, made sure every table and every chair were seven feet apart. We did an immigrant comedian night in which we had three or four immigrant comedians. And we did this event, uh, you know, people would only be able to go inside the restaurant if they were escorted. Um, there could never be more than two people inside the restaurant. And so, but we did, we did manage to do this event and, you know, it was amazing that we had, you know, it, it was sold out. We had salsa night, but you couldn't do a salsa night with partners. So we had a salsa night, but without partners, right? Um, so everybody had to dance salsa individually. We have to invent things like that to bring out also the fun of, uh, bring back the fun of food, the sharing of food together, uh, celebrating immigrants and immigrant related things, whether it's a dance or a comedy night, um, along with some of the more serious things that we did, events on dreamers, events on human trafficking and things like that. It was quite a year. Thank you so much for for both of your time just to to wrap up uh where do you see yourself moving forward with regards to, to immigrant foods like what's your vision for the future and how do you plan to keep positively impacting that public perception of immigrants and immigration so, i mean the business model when we started off was always to expand um and have multiple restaurants so um we opened our second location um in may 2021 of this year and we are actually opening our third location in September of 2021. So we, um, you know, we'll have three restaurants sort of less than two years of our opening, um, which is very exciting. And the idea is to open also a couple more restaurants in DC. And then if everything goes well, um, also expand to a different city um, and, and sort of replicate the model. We hope that it's one of the reasons also we are partnering with local NGOs because we hope that if we go to a different city, we can partner with local NGOs there as well uh, and really make an impact on the community where we're at. Sounds good. Peter and Taya, thank you so much. And if people want to get in contact, they want to reach you and taste one of your delicious dishes or be a part of your educational programs, where should we send them to? They should definitely follow us um, on social media. It's at Immigrant Food, very easy, uh, singular, not plural foods. Our website is immigrantfood.com and definitely sign up for our newsletter as well. We won't bombard you with emails, but we'll send you some cool events that we have. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much. Can't wait to go to your, your restaurant once again and dine in. So I appreciate all the work that you guys do. You're very innovative and you're civic minded and you bring it all together perfectly. So we thank you. Thanks for, thanks having, for us. having us. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMM Nerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week. Thank you.